Hallelujah. Father God, I don't want to make a single move without you, Lord. I don't want to say a word without you, Lord. I'm desperate for your anointing. Father God, we want to be in your will. We want to follow your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father. You know every single soul in this room. You know every person who is watching live online right now, Father, or who's watching later in the week on the podcast. You know every person right now. You know them intimately. You know what's going on in their life. And you know why, more than we do, you know why we're going to be talking about what we're talking about today. So I just trust you. I thank you, Father God, that you are going to do a mighty work in our lives. I thank you that we're not just hearers of this word, but we're doers of the word. I thank you, Father God. We love you so much. I know that there's people in here who've brought in all sorts of issues and problems and and very real things going on in their life, real struggles, real storms. I thank you that you love us and you care about those things, but I thank you that you, you give us the courage to cast those things on you so that you can speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So here's the reason. Here's the reason we're taking a little pause, a little time out today between our series. It's a sobering little truth that came out uh, after our last series. We, you know, we spent all summer long on the seven deadly sins. Uh, we spent about eight weeks total, because it was an intro there. We spent about eight weeks on the deadlies. And you can catch each of those, by the way, if you missed any of those. Those are on the website, too. Catch those and the notes are on there too, or you can subscribe to the podcast. But as we talked each week, something happened. Each week we would talk about these things. As I was talking to friends and, and family, and we were just kind of getting into it, we would talk about these different sins that ensnare so many people. There's this like recurring shadow that kept creeping back into the conversation. This same recurring theme would creep back. And in our, in our deeper small group on Wednesday nights, and by the way, if you don't uh, come on Wednesday nights, I encourage you to come. We've got so many great things going on right now. Joy White is teaching an incredible series right now on the gifts of the Spirit in this class. And we have deeper small group goes on back there. We just sit around in a circle. We got coffee and we just, we go deeper into the Word. We, we wrestle with some of the questions that the Sunday morning sermon brings up, you know, because how many of you know, the more you look into the Bible for answers, it raises all kinds of new questions. It's like a glorious search. And so we, we wrestle with those things on Wednesday. Uh, but the more we sat in that class and we, we kind of talked together and people were telling their stories, we explored what the Bible says about these destructive behaviors and, and destructive thought patterns. We went around the room. I would hear this common underlying issue repeated week after week. And it was this, it was this. That the, in some form or another, all of our sin ultimately stems from a failure to fully trust in God. All of our sin ultimately stems from a failure to fully trust in God. And we're talking about Christians, okay? We're talking about Christians because really, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the world sinning. That's not their biggest problem. An unbeliever or somebody who's still searching for Christ. You know, we don't go up to unbelievers and say, you need to stop sinning. That's not the issue, right? We want to, tell, we want to introduce them to Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the one who changes our life. But for Christians, we got this issue. For Christians, all of our sin ultimately stems from a failure to fully trust in God. Now, I got to tell you, that was kind of a surprise to me that this kept coming up and it just got me really wrestling and thinking with it. Because you, you see, if you asked a man on the street, if you asked just any guy on the street, why do, why do people sin? Why do why are Christians sin? Uh, you'd probably hear a whole bunch of reasons, right? You'd probably hear, well, because people are weak, right? If you ask somebody, why do you sin? You'd be like, well, I'm weak. I'm just weak, right? Or you hear, because sin is fun, 
I mean, let's be honest, right? Sometimes sin feels good. That's why we sin. Or, you know, it's just hard to be good all the time. It's exhausting. How can, you can't be good all the time. That's why we sin. Or, you know, we're just human. We're just human. We can't help ourselves. Or, you know, the devil made us do it. You know, the devil makes us sin because, you know, he just makes sin so tempting. It's just the devil's fault. Here are all kinds of reasons why we sin, right? And that's kind of probably if I just stuck a mic in your face and said, why do we sin? You know, you might would say one of those things. I probably would have too. The reason I bet you would almost never hear from the man on the street is that we sin because we ultimately fail to fully trust in God. But I've got to tell you, I've become convinced that this failure to trust in God, this lack of faith that God really is who he said he is, that he really will come through when he says he will come through, that he really has our back, that he really loves us and doesn't condemn us. I believe that that is the unseen virus behind a million moral failures. This belief that God really doesn't have our back, I believe, is behind a million moral failures. Why do we fall into pride? That was one of our deadly sins. Why do we fall into pride? Because we fear what will happen if we don't look out for ourselves. You've got to look out for number one, right? We fear it. And, we, and because we, get, we trust our own instincts more than God's word. Why do we sin in anger? We sin in anger because we really stop believing that God's going to provide justice. So we've got to provide it, right? Somebody's got to pay, and I'm the hammer. And that's, that's where anger comes from. We hoard out of greed and gluttony. We talked about those, those two. When we feel like our life is out of control, we need to have control. We don't trust that God really is in control. So we hoard. We, we have to be in control. We lust because we want to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And what that really is, is this, it, it kind of is this fear that God is incapable of satisfying our souls. It's not trusting in God. When we envy, we're betraying God's gifts to us, the ones he's given us, and we say, yeah, but that's not enough. I don't think you're really going to give me enough, God. I need more. I need something that God won't supply. We sin through sloth, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago. When we fear what will happen, what might happen if we take a chance. Right? And we really aren't convinced that God's going to be there to have our back. All of sin stems from this failure to fully trust in God. Why do we as Christians, and we know why everyone else sins, right? Because that's just the natural state of, of man. But why do we as Christians, children of God who have tasted his grace and his mercy, why do we sin? Ultimately, we sin because when we fail to fully trust in God. So before we move on to this next series, I want to exhort us today. I want to challenge us today in something. And listen, this is going to sound shocking from your pastor who just got done preaching about sin for a whole summer long. But, but I want to challenge you in this. Don't make the greatest craving of your heart your primary daily goal. Don't make it not to commit sin. Did I hear you right? Yes. Don't make your primary goal not to commit sin. Let the thing you crave the most be to know God better so you can trust him more. The th- what if the thing we crave the most from the moment we, we woke up and our feet hit the floor th- this morning, today, and tomorrow, and the next day, what if every day the thing that we crave the most, of all the things that we crave and we want and we have goals and all this, what if the thing we wanted the most, though, that we crave the most, the biggest cry of our heart, was to know God better today so I can trust him more? 
What would happen? Your primary motivation in life, to know God better so you can trust him more. And you know what will happen in the meantime when you do that? You'll sin less. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. But we'll get into that. Think about it. It's no accident. Who was the only perfect man who ever lived? Jesus. Right? Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect man who ever lived. He lived sinless. Never sinned. Never sinned. Like, not even like that, oh, that one time. No, he never sinned. How is that possible? Is it a coincidence? He just happened to have the most intimate relationship with the Father that any person has ever had. Is that any accident? Jesus, the sinless man, how was he able to be sinless? Well, he was the son of God. It's not really fair. No, no, no. How was he able to remain sinless, even when he was tempted? Because the Bible says he was tempted. Because he trusted God completely, completely and intimately. He had such an intimate relationship with the Father. He even said, I don't say a thing unless a God tells me to say it. Right? That's an intimate relationship. No wonder he was able to live a sinless life. Right? I was sitting with my dad just the other day um, at his house. We were sitting in his, in his living room. We were just talking. We were just shooting the breeze and talking about Jesus. We were encouraging each other. And I always feel blessed when I just get to like sit with dad in the living room and listen to his wisdom. I, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. I know I am because I, I just get to sit there and, and he just talks and I'm just oh, blown away, you know, like sitting at the feet of the master. So we're just sitting there and he's just talking and he told me, he said, Bub, that's what he calls me since I was born, Bubba. He said, Bub, um, you know what strikes me is how closely faith, authentic growing in faith, how closely it's tied to knowing who God is. How closely faith, growing in faith, is tied to knowing who God is, knowing his character, having a relationship with him. He said even more so than just learning facts about him. Right? And I was just like, yeah, it's amazing, right? Think about it. You can study theology. You can study theology. You can learn all about God. And in the end, you can be no closer to God than you started, right? I mean, that happens a lot. The, the schools of theology are, are filled. Seminaries are filled with people who've been studying God. They study him hardcore for two or three years. They come out and they're no closer to God. Sometimes the way we study Christ, even you and me, we can get in this habit. The way we study Christ is like the way we study George Washington or something. Some dead historical figure. We just want to learn about George Washington. Anybody here like, really crave this personal relationship with George Washington? <laughs> you know, no, I'm fine with just knowing about him, knowing his you know, birthday, and he crossed the Delaware and all that. You know, that's great. But we study Jesus like that, right? And Jesus is alive. He's not some historical figure. He's alive. He's right beside us. He's closer than any human being can ever be to you. He's closer to you right now than that. He's a personal God. And if we really want to grow in our faith, which is just kind of a religious-y, churchy way of saying if we want to trust God more, if we really want to, we have to get to know him. We have to get to know him, okay? I'll be honest with you. The person on this planet that I trust the most, the one human being that I trust the most of anybody, and I've got wonderful friends, wonderful family, the person I trust the most is my beautiful wife, Melissa. I trust Mel. I trust her with everything. I'm completely vulnerable in her hands. I trust her completely. And you know what? It's not because I read a whole lot of books about her. 
I didn't memorize a whole bunch of facts about her back when I was stalking her, you know. <laughs> I, di I didn't, you know. I trust her today because I know her pretty intimately. I know her, right? I've talked with her. I've shared with her, and she shared her hopes and dreams with me. Right? We've had those times. I've stared at her as she moves about her day. I stare at her, right? As she talks with other people, I stare at her. I can't help myself, right? As she's sleeping, she says, it's creepy. Stop. I can't help it. <laughs> I stare at her. <laughs> right? I know her character. See, I know her character. I know her. I know how she would react in a situation, even before we're in it. I know how Mel would react. Not that she's not a person of immense depth and mystery. Oh, yeah. I don't understand about 95% of what's going on in that beautiful brain. Right? 95% is a mystery, but I have total trust in her because I know her character. Right? I know without a doubt the incredible things she's capable of. And, and I know that I can have faith, even in the 95% that I don't understand, I can have faith in her, right? So it is with God. So it should be with God for all of us. Our greatest craving should be to get to know him better so that we can trust him more. To know him better so we can trust him more. Not just to keep him happy, to keep God off our back. That's not our biggest goal in the morning. I've got to keep God happy today. Hopefully I won't displease God today. That's, that's a lot of people's goal, not to displease God, right? But to chase after his ways, to, to know his character. That is how we grow our faith, to trust God more intimately. The writer Oswald, Oswald Chambers, he said this, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. I could test to that. Deliberate confidence in the ways of God, even ways that you don't really understand at the time. Now, my primary goal in my marriage, when it comes to my marriage, my primary goal is not avoiding making Mel mad. Right? I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, oh I got to make sure I don't make her mad today. I better, uh, right? I'm just going to stay clear. Don't make eye contact. Just nod yes or whatever. That's, that's not my goal. I, I know, pe I know some, pe so, some of you maybe, that's like your goal in your marriage right now. That, that, that's not the best. Okay? There's something better. That, that is a, a, a ticket to, to a, a dry, one-way, dead-end thing, right? I, I don't start my day going, I, I, I better try not to make Mel mad. See, my greatest triumph when it comes to my marriage, my greatest triumph at, on any given day in my marriage is when I have given her my attention. I've given her my attention, and somehow that resulted in like this more intimate knowledge of her right? Oh, that is a good day, right? Who she is, what she's about. When I've glimpsed another facet of that mysterious, beautiful brain of hers, right? That makes me look in the mirror and go, well done, dude, right? <laughs> Way to go, right? Okay. So, so it is with God. So it is with God. The more we experience personally who God is the, and how he responds to things, the more you know about his character, how would God respond to these? How is he going to respond to this issue? His character is love, his grace. The more we crave it, the more we crave it, and the more we experience it, the more we learn to trust him. And the more our faith grows, and guess what? In the meantime, you find a beautiful thing. The less you're sinning. 
the less you're sinning. So, today I want to I want to look at a story that Jesus told the crowd. It's this brilliant story that illustra- uh, brilliantly illustrates this idea that the it's more important than just learning facts and opinions about Jesus is really knowing God, uh, having this relationship with Him, learning to trust Him with your life. So. So I hope you'll just be open and receive this this morning. We're going to look at two different places in the Bible. They both tell the same story slightly differently. One's in Matthew, one's in Luke. Each one of them adds their own little detail to the story that brings the whole thing into clarity. First, I want to read the account in Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 21. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, we drove out demons and in your name performed many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Yikes, right? Jesus, that's kind of harsh, right? Tough language. So it would seem to me, I'm reading this, it would seem that it's possible to be a student of theology and God still say, but you still don't know me, right? That's the difference between being a student and a disciple. There's a big difference between being a student and a disciple. A student learns about someone or something. A disciple learns from someone, right? If we're just learning about God, we're just being a student. If we're learning from God, that's, that's being a disciple. A disciple of Jesus didn't just go to Jesus school, Right? The 12 disciples that we read about in the Bible, they didn't, it doesn't say, and they all packed their bags and went to Jesus school for two years. No, no, no. They walk in his dust. They do what he does. They can't keep their eyes off him. They can't help themselves, right? So these people have been doing all the right things on the outside in this scripture. These people do all the right things on the outside, but they've never poured themselves into a relationship with the Father himself. Okay, look at verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall because it has its foundations on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Okay. So Christ is telling us a pretty well-known parable. I, I, I would guess over half of you have, have heard this parable. It, I remember as a kid, we sang these little songs. The wise man built his house on the rock, right? And the foolish man built his house on the sand, right? So we have this picture. We have a picture, right? You, you picture this, like, awesome rock mountain here and smart guy built up there, stupid guy built down here on the sand. Pretty, pretty basic, basic story. Now notice Jesus says... Both of these are like people who have heard the words of Jesus. So we're not necessarily talking about like a Christian and an unbeliever. We're talking about two people who have heard the words of Jesus. They're both to some degree students of the word. And they both built a house. The house represents their life. And notice he doesn't say like one built a crummy house, one built a mansion. For all intents and purposes, it's the same house. They both built their life. Same house, just in different places. So the real surprise here comes, though, okay, this is cool, when we look at the detail that Luke adds when telling this story. If you go over to Luke chapter 6, the way he starts out 
in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He starts off by echoing the same warning from Matthew 7. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. Well, I wonder what we're going to hear. Verse 48. Look at what he tells. It's a little different. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So here, did y'all notice that? Did y'all notice the twist? There's a little interesting twist in this one. He had this little detail here. Both houses are built on the sand. One man dug down deep to anchor his house to the rock underneath. This is interesting. Both houses are built on the sand. One man dug down and anchored to the rock. You ever go to the you ever go to Galveston, see all the beach houses there, you know, along the coast or on Bolivar Peninsula, right? When I was a when I was a kid, we had some friends who had had one over there and we got to go uh, you know, hang out with them for the weekend. That was so much fun, right? Being in those beach houses, and they're just amazing pieces of architecture when you think about it. These houses are like right on the water, surrounded by sand, but what do they got? Those big wooden pylons driven down through the sand, right? Right down towards the bedrock. Why? Because sand shifts. Sand moves. Right? Anything riding on top of that sand is going to shift with it. Sand, sand surfing is fun, but not if you're a house. Right? You don't want to do that. And some of these beach houses have survived like decades of hurricanes. So, so we have a new picture here. It's not that one guy was really smart and built over on the mountain, and over, the other guy built on the beach. We have these, both of these houses and this is really makes more sense. Have you, I mean, have you ever been to the Middle East? There's a lot of sand. It's kind of inescapable, right? You can't get away from it. There's sand everywhere. In the geology of Palestine, especially in the time of Jesus where he was preaching, the top stratum of the ground was sand. They all contended with the sand. The top layer that everyone could see was sand. And underneath that was a second layer, that second stratum, that was rock. Now, what does this mean? Well, here's the fact. We all live in the world. You live in the world? <laughs> right? We all live in the world. We may not be of this world, but this may not be where our allegiance lies, but we live here. We are like ambassadors, like we talked about last week. We are ambassadors of a great kingdom living in a fallen one. Right? So we live here. We all have to contend with the sand underneath us. You have a job. You have a job. You, you, you have to go to school. You have to pay your bills. We all contend with the same stuff everyone else in America contends with. But here's the difference. The company you work for, the business there, they may give you a paycheck, but God is your source. Well, we got to keep that straight. Someone may give you a paycheck, but they're not your source. God is your source. God is your foundation. They're not your source. Your house may be sitting on sand, the same sand everybody else has got to sit on, but, but that sand better not be your foundation. It's, it's the foundation for a lot of people. 
but it better not be your foundation. Our lives better be anchored to something that's a lot less shifty than that, right? I mean, look at the news today. We're part of an economy. We're all part of this economy that's kind of going up and down right now, right? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? Who knows? Who knows? But we are not a victim of this economy. You don't have to be a victim of this economy just because you're a part of the economy, right? See, you have a Father God who owns every rock, every tree, every ocean, every oil well on this planet. He owns them. They're His. And He is your sufficiency. He is your source. Christ is our rock. Christ is our rock. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He's the rock beneath the sand. We have this God, this foundation, who is utterly unshakable, unmovable, and totally unaffected by circumstances. You think the rock cares what the sand is doing over it? No. It is unaffected by circumstances. So, how do we drill down and attach our lives to this rock? Well, he tells us, this is everyone who comes to me, hears my words, and what? Puts them into practice. Here's my words and puts them into practice. So that's somebody who trusts God enough to, to put their life in his hands. Trust God enough that even though you can't see the rock, it's beneath the sand, you can't see it, but you're going to put your faith in there. You're going to anchor your heart to his heart. Start doing what he says. And when you do that and you start seeing him come through for you again and again and again, and he comes through for you again, it builds your faith even more. It builds your faith. And with every storm that hits the side of your house, you just keep loving it more. You keep living full of gratitude and trust. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, which brings us to another important element of this story. The storm hit both houses. The storm hit both houses. Let me point, let me go to that one. There we go. The storm hit both houses. See, the people that Jesus were talking to, they understood floods and storms there in Palestine. They understood Israel has this climate. It's a lot like South Texas, they say, and, and South, Southern California, if you've ever been there. Um, it's dry. It's arid. doesn't rain a whole lot. But when it does, look out, Right? Because the ground is kind of hard-packed, and it doesn't really soak up a whole lot of the ground, and you get flash floods, right? Israel's the same way. Like Southern California, you get these flash floods. And Jesus is speaking to this crowd in Galilee. They understood well the, uh, the power of these floods. And when the Jordan River would under- overflow its banks and the winter rains would come, the Jordan River overflows, that it, you meant it was trouble for houses that were not anchored, uh, so archaeologists have, have dug in there, and they've discovered these houses from 2,000 years ago, these homes that had had to dig down as much as 10 feet to reach bedrock. Some of these houses dug down 10 feet. Isn't that amazing? So this is, this is the point. You don't get a free pass at a storm-free life just because you have a better foundation. That, that's not the point. In fact, it's precisely because of the storms that we have need of a foundation. It's because of the storms, right? So being a better Christian doesn't calm the storm. It does mean you'll be standing when it's over. Amen. When that storm passes, you'll be standing. Amen. That's what being a Christian means. Now, in, in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. I've overcome the world. Okay, the first part of that scripture I don't like so much. 
you will have trouble. Come on, Jesus. No, he says you will, but I've overcome the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So friends, the rains are going to fall. The rains are going to fall. The waters will rise and your stability will be tested. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And that is when the difference between a student or a casual hearer and a disciple becomes really obvious. That's when the difference shows up. Here's aha moment number three. Your storms are not your real enemy. Your storms are not your real enemy. It may feel like it when you're going through it. I understand going through the storm. It feels like this is my biggest problem. It's not. The storm you're facing is not your biggest danger. What I mean is that they're out of your control. That storm's out of your control, right? You don't need to worry about avoiding them or controlling them. They're a part of life. They're a part of life. Jesus said they're going to come. It's a part of life. What you need to concern yourself with is not finding a place with no storms. It's, it's what is your life anchored on? That is our concern, right? I might put it this way. I think we got too many weathermen in the church and not enough architects. Uh. <laughs> we got a lot of weathermen. We got a lot of weather prognosticators. What's going on with the weather? Oh, no, a storm. Oh, maybe it's a storm. Oh, hopefully it passes. Maybe it'll come. I don't know, right? A lot of weathermen in the church. We need more architects. How do I build a better foundation here? Right? Let's stop concerning ourselves with predicting the weather. Let's start building a relationship with God. That is what we need. That is what we need. Wasting a lot of energy. I see a lot of, a, a lot of my friends wasting a lot of energy worrying about the weather. I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I'm not coming down on you. But we got to stop. We need to stop. It, you know... If the worst happens, it's not because the ground was sandy or because there was a storm outside that'll be your undoing. It's because your house had nothing else underneath. That is what is going to be your undoing. It's not the storm or the sand. It's because you didn't have a foundation. We can't blame our circumstances for why the house got washed away. Because Jesus warned us the circumstances were coming. Right? They're a part of life. He gave us the key for surviving and thriving the storm. in the storm. Right? What's the key? Going beyond just hearing his words and doing them. Getting to know his heart. There's there's the key. You want to survive these crazy times? It's nuts, right? You can can watch too much news. That's for somebody. You can watch too much news. And it's crazy. And it's heartbreaking. And it's can make us fearful. You want to survive it? The, I, the, the answer is not freaking out and running away. The answer is not freaking out. It's digging down. Digging down, anchoring your life in real, authentic relationship with Jesus. A real, authentic relationship with the living Christ. The living Christ, right? This isn't George Washington. This is Jesus. He's right here with us. So we have to invest in a, to, you know, to invest in a relationship, for me to invest in a relationship with Mel, it, for it to be successful, you have to spend time. You have to spend time with the person to really know them and to trust them. It takes time, right? And, and now this is going to be a, a really good point. And this would be a great time for you all to like really shout, make me feel good. Because here's why. Because faith is personal. Faith is personal. Let's say it like this. Faith is not mentally assenting to a set of proclamations. 
Faith, when it comes down to it, is a form of falling in love. It's not mentally assenting to a bunch of proclamations and, and set of statements. It's really a form of falling in love. The Scottish writer William Barclay, he said it much better than I would have. He said, for the, for, he, he was talking about the Apostle Paul. He said, for the Apostle Paul, faith is not the intellectual acceptance of a body of doctrine. Faith is faith in a person. He said, faith is always faith in a person, not a set of statements. Faith is always faith in a person. It isn't about agreeing to a set of statements. It's trusting a person. Never let, let yourself forget that. When you're talking to one guy, I want to grow my faith. I need to grow my faith. I need more faith. It's not believing in more doctrines and statements. It's believing in a person who is alive, who loves you, and is omnipotent. Hallelujah. So I've said it, I've said it before, and at the risk of repeating myself, forgive me. But if you make your primary goal to live sin-free, if that's your primary goal, to live sin-free, I'm going to live sin-free today, you know what? You're going to fail. I just want to tell you now, you're going to fail, and at the end of the day, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to be full of condemnation, because you didn't accomplish your goal. Well, of course you didn't. You know what? That goal is not a worthy enough goal for Jesus Christ to come down from heaven, to leave the throne, and come down, be born as a baby, live, suffer, die, get crucified, raised from the dead. That is not a worthy enough goal, just so you can be more moral. There's more reason he came than that. He died on the cross. He went to hell and back so that you could become children of God. So that you and I, he died so, so humankind wouldn't have to be separated from a holy God anymore. We wouldn't have to be separated from him. That we could actually have a worshiping relationship with the Lord. That is why he went through hell so we could have a worshiping relationship with our God, not to make you more moral. And guess what? When you pursue a relationship with God, when you do that, when you pursue knowing him and falling more in love with him, not just knowing about him, he will be faithful to do his part. See, the Bible tells us he has a part in this relationship. His part is to set you free from the sins that have you in bondage. We've had it all backwards. We thought our part of the relationship is to stop sinning. No, his part of the relationship is to set you free from the sins that have you in bondage. That's relationship. Only the work of grace can set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. You cannot set yourself free. You can't do it. You can't do it. Not your intellect, not your willpower. See, the man who's depending on his knowledge, the one who depends on his knowledge about God, is the man who builds on sand. Here's what I mean by that. He's putting his trust in his house. That guy's putting all his eggs in that basket, his house. I built this really good house, really, okay, it's a strong house. It's sitting on sand, but this is my house. That's his life. That's the house he has built, his abilities, his intellect, his skills. And he's depending on that to sustain him when the storm hits. How many of you are, are just like that? I'm, I'm, I've been the same way. We depend on our intellect, our skills, our planning. Our, you know, we got, we got a plan. We, you know, we're depending on that to save us when the storm hits. And Jesus says, that man is at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And that was the problem when you think about it. That's the problem Jesus had with the Pharisees. Boy, he gave them a hard time, right? Poor Pharisees. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they knew the law. They're just trying to do the right thing. They're just trying to do everything really good. But they didn't trust in God. 
If you notice their actions and their words, they didn't trust in God, not really. They looked good. They obeyed all the laws. But, but that's kind of where their trust stopped. They trusted in that appearance of perfection. That's how they thought they were going to get through this, by, by trying really hard and being extra perfect. They trusted in their own righteousness, right? They even boasted in their own righteousness. They trusted in that. That's, that's a house. That's the house they built. They trusted in their pretty, spotless house. Got to make sure everything's... Oh, cobweb. Get that oh, cobweb off. Okay. Pretty spotless house. And that's where their trust was, right? They worshipped above all things their knowledge of the law, but they neglected to be living testimonies of God's love. They knew all about God. They didn't know God at all. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Oh, let this sink in. Not, he didn't say without living sin free. He says without faith. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently never sin again. No. Seek him. He's a rewarder of the one who seeks him. That's how you please God. That's how you please God. If you're trying to please God by being more moral, you're missing the point. That's really not how you get on his good side. Right? We have a great account of a whole sect of people, the Pharisees, who tried to please God by being more moral. And, and he, it didn't work at all. As we said in the beginning, this is why we fail. This is why we sin. We're not saying sin's not important. But this is why we sin. This is why we sin. Because we aren't living. This is why we're not living as overcomers. This is why we fail day after day. We're not being overcomers because we fail to fully trust in God. You don't sin because you're a rotten little worm. You're not a rotten little worm. God says when you come to him and you give him your life, he makes you into a new creation. Right? You're already the new creation. You're already there. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. You are the righteousness of Christ. Right? He already sees that. He has already broken the power of sin over your life. Whether you feel like it or not, he has broken the power of sin over your life. You're no longer a slave to sin. So why, why do we fail when we, fully, when we fail to fully trust in him? We don't trust him. And that's why Jesus, so tragically in that passage, he, he, says, sorry, he says to these folks, I'm so sorry, I never knew you. I never knew you. So this is kind of a tricky path, I understand. It's kind of tricky. We, we, we can't make God love us more by sinning less. But we will sin less when the more we discover how much more God loves us. We will sin less when we discover how much God loves us. Oswald Chambers, he said this again, something so good. The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. He said it better than I would. The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good, right? So that tells me the secret to conquering sin is to discover how good he is, right? I mean, that's what my lightning fast brain says, to know him better so we can trust him more. What if that was the craving of our heart? To know him better so we can trust him more. I want to know God better so I can trust him more. 
What if you could know God better so you could trust him more? So how do we grow our faith? In the, in the, just, I've just got a few minutes left. I'm going to give you some, some, something to chew on and walk out of here with some next steps, okay? How do, you, how do we grow our faith? Let's make this super practical. How do we get to know God better so we can trust him more? Well, God uses, it turns out, several things to grow our faith. I just want to go over these really fast. We can think of these as the four Ds. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it just worked out that way. Number one, divine relationships. What does God use to grow our faith? He uses divine relationships. Those are the relationships in our life. Those are fellow believers in our life that encourage us, right? One of the greatest catalysts for growing in your relationship with God is growing in relationship with other believers. That's why we talk about it so much here. That's why it's such a big deal here. We're just not into like, it's not, it's not because we're just into like eating dinner all the time, you know. We just love, we just love hanging out. No, one of the greatest catalysts for you knowing God is getting to know the people that are sitting right there next to you in this church, getting into their life, letting them into your life, being vulnerable to them, encouraging one another, praying one another. He put us together for a purpose. That's why the local church is here, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to hold each other accountable when we need that, and to comfort one another when those storms are hitting our life. Right? He told us to rejoice with each other when we're, when we're being happy and to mourn with each other when, we're, when something tragic happens. We're there for each other. Right? So my faith, I, when I think back to my life, my faith has been incredibly built up by hearing the testimonies of other people. Right? How many times have you heard somebody else preach and you, or somebody else just tell you a story and you walked away feeling a little more hopeful about that thing you're going through? Right? Well, if God did that for them, maybe he'll do that for me. Right? Because God is doing something in somebody's life. He's always doing something in somebody's life. Hallelujah. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? So now sometimes hearing the word of God is in the form of hearing out of the mouth of others. Sometimes you're, when you hear good testimonies or stories of other people, you're hearing the word of God spoken back to you. And sometimes it comes in the form of reading it ourselves. Okay, so that was number one, divine relationships. Second thing God uses to grow our faith Daily disciplines. Daily disciplines. Right? Now, some of you are really good at this. Some of us are really bad at this. But here's how we grow our faith. These are spiritual acts of service. Right? Reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is important. Right? Where we read the accounts of what God says. and what he, It's his living word to us. Right? Giving to God your time, your resources. Spending time in prayer. Taking that extra time during the day to pray. You know, that first five, as my friend Brad says... Uh, Take that first five, pray to the Lord. Those are the times when we give to him. Those are the times he speaks back to us. We need to stop sometimes our day. I know you're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. You're not special. (laughs) I love you. We're all busy. But we got to stop. That's part of what daily disciplines are. Stop so you can hear, so you can listen. Turn off the music, turn off the TV, shut down the internet, and listen. Because he'll speak. That's when the reality of his love is, it becomes real. The reality of his love for us and his love for other people. Amen. And, some of that, and part of that also is, is, is giving of your time, serving in the church. That's part of those daily disciplines, being, being part of the body of Christ. Number three, see we're just moving right along. Number three, difficult circumstances. Here's, here's the storm we've just been talking about. Here's the thing. God doesn't, I don't believe, I, I believe this. Now, you might argue with me, but I don't believe God sends the storm into your life. 
I don't believe that. He's a good God, right? I love my children, my two boys, more than anything in the whole wide world. I'd never send a storm into their life. But here's what I know about God. He will sure use tough times to get our attention. He knows, right? God knows. He knows us. He knows when we're, when we're paying the most attention to him. And here's the wonderful thing about God is nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. He'll never waste an opportunity to minister to you, to grow you, to get a little closer to you if you'll listen, right? He knows that we're never more focused in our attention and in our prayers is when we're experiencing trouble, right? I'm guilty of that too. When trouble comes, oh man, I got a great prayer life that week, right? No, 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 I got to pray, you know. He knows that about us. We're never more focused than when trouble happens. James uh, even says in the book of James, he says, rejoice in your trials because they produce patience, right? Rejoice in your trials because they produce patience. I think a lot of times that storm hits and, and our first prayer, if you're normal, doesn't make you evil, just makes you human. Our first prayer is, God, make the storm go away. Save me from the storm, right? Deliver me from the storm, What if our first prayer was, God, I trust you. I trust that the moment, not a moment after, but the moment that I learn what you want me to learn out of this, you will deliver me from this storm. The moment that I have discovered that wonderful new facet of you that you'd like to use this to teach me, you will deliver me. I I trust you. Number four. Doctrinal teaching. That's what we're doing right now. I put this last because for some of us, this is all we've got. This is all we do. And while this is essential, what you're doing right here, you're really, what are you doing? You're hearing about God. Okay, so please let me warn you don't go home and feel like you just got closer to God. You're just hearing about Him right now. I'm kind of being a tour guide, okay? I'm just being a tour guide. So this is not, can't be all there is. This is what we most commonly think of, but we can't depend on this alone to grow our faith. Teaching can't be all that we get. In fact, I would submit to you this. It's actually, of all four of these things, divine relationships, daily disciplines, difficult circumstances, and teaching, I suspect that it probably has the least long-term impact on your faith. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think this, right, this sermon will have the least long-term impact on your faith. Because you could hear a good sermon. This may not be good or not. But you may, can hear a good sermon and get you shouting, feel lots of goosebumps. I've been in those. They're awesome. Right? It will not sustain you when you walk out the door. You go right back to life. Am I right? So this is actually the least impactful thing of these four things that you're going to experience. So that's up to you. To develop a real relationship with God. To grow in your trust in God. You have to invest yourself in a relationship with other believers, we have to. In those personal, private disciplines of prayer and study and volunteer ministry and things like that. And you have to put your faith in action by depending on him in times of trouble. Don't freak out in times of trouble. Depend on him. Run closer to him. Dig down. That's what you should be doing in times of trouble. That is where warriors are made. That is where disciples are born. In those, those times. Amen? Amen. Uh, I, I hope this has been encouraging for you. 
I don't mean to condemn anybody. I, I hope this has been encouraging for you and given you something to chew on this week. My prayer is that every single one of you, as, you, as you're building your house, your house is your life, as you're building that life, that you will dig down deep and connect in a real relationship with God, that you will grow in your intimate knowledge of the Lord, to know that he loves you, to know that he has your back. The more you know him, the more you trust him, because he's faithful. And when the storms hit, it's not a question of if, it's when. When the storms hit, know that God is not shaken. And he's not taken by surprise, right? Some of you in this room, I know, right now, are, are carrying around like shrapnel, right? You've had bombs thrown in front of you, and you, you were carrying around shrapnel in your life from storms that have hit you. You've had the waters rise on your doorstep probably more than once. And for some of you, it's made you gun-shy. It's made you a little bit skeptical about God, whether he really is good, whether God really does love you. I mean, he does good things for other people, but I don't know if he really is good, if he's going to love me. But he does. He's been right here this whole time. He has been right underneath your feet this whole time. And he wants so badly for you to get to know him. He wants so badly for you to have a relationship with him. That's what he wants. He literally died in order to have a relationship with you. He died for you. And you know what? He can handle your doubts and your jitters and your fears and your questions. He can handle those things because he is unshakable. He is the rock. He can handle that. He knows how to guide you through the trouble into your next right step. Faith is trusting that when we take that step, our feet are going to land on solid ground. Amen? We don't have to see the future. We don't have to see the future. We just have to trust the one who does. At this time, 